Delta, Lambda, there aren't enough letters in the Greek alphabet to perpetuate this tyranny. And if you think it's all about a virus, think again. Open borders, most all of whom are sick. Only Walmart and Amazon are allowed to do business unrestricted. But your business is a hazard to public health? The lies are coming in torrents now. And the only way to hold back the flood is with the levy of truth. TNN, the Truth News Network, and your master of fact is Dan Newman. Good morning, everybody. Do you think Pete Moss has a little bit of a perspective on things going on around in the United States? Wow, what a way to lay it out there, and especially today, because joining us live is Dr. Peter McCulloch. I want you to say hello to Dr. McCulloch first, and then I'm going to tell you a little bit about him. Good morning, sir. Good morning. It is so good to have you on. I want you to listen to this. You probably may get a little... uh, embarrassed as I tell the folks all of the good things, but I think it's critical for everybody to understand. You're an internist, a cardiologist, an epidemiologist, an academic medical practice in Dallas. You maintain ABIM certification in internal medicine and cardiovascular diseases. You practice both internal medicines, including the management of common infectious diseases, as well as the cardiovascular complications of both the viral infection and the injuries developing after the COVID-19 vaccine. Since this pandemic began, Dr. McCullough has been a leader in the medical response to the COVID-19 disaster. He's published Pathophysiological Basis and Rationale for Early Outpatient Treatment of SARS-CoV-2 COVID-19 Infection, the first synthesis of sequenced multidrug treatment of ambulatory patients infected with SARS-CoV-2, in the American Journal of Medicine, subsequently updated in reviews in cardiovascular medicine. You have 46 peer-reviewed publications on the infection, and you've commented extensively on the medical response to the COVID-19 crisis in The Hill and even on Fox News Channel. I've watched you on Tucker Carlson and now at Truth News Network. November 19th, 2020. You testified in the U.S. Senate Committee on Homeland Security and Governmental Affairs. We carried that speech before the Senate subcommittee in Texas. We carried it here at Truth News Network. Throughout 2021 in the Texas Senate Committee on Health and Human Services, Colorado General Assembly, New Hampshire Senate, concerning a lot of aspects of the pandemic response. You've had a full year of dedicated academic and clinical efforts in combating this thing, this virus. And when you did it, you've reviewed thousands of reports, participated in scientific congresses, group discussions, press release. You've been considered among the world's experts on COVID-19. And let me just add this. You are, if not the, you are one of the leading cardiovascular folks on the planet. You're a pretty sharp guy. Thank you for coming and being with us here today. Well, thanks for that introduction, and thanks for each and every one of the listeners on the call today. Um, I have to tell you that my comments will be my own and not representing any organization. I'm looking at a letter. I just received a certified letter yesterday from the American College of Physicians to kick off the discussion. This was by return receipt. And it's from Dr. Darlin Moyer, 
And Dr. Moyer is the Executive Vice President and Chief Executive Officer of the Manton College of Physicians. This is one of many organizations that I uh, am a certified fellow in. I pay annual dues and I participate in as a physician and an academician. And her letter is very short. It says, your public comments about COVID-19 have been brought to our attention. We do not consider this a matter for review under our procedures for addressing ethical complaints against uh, college physician members and closed and respect your right to speak freely as an individual. However, we ask that all ACP members when identified as such, members specify that they are not speaking on behalf of the American College of Physicians and the views expressed are their own and not necessarily those that reflect policies of the ACP. I can tell you these types of letters which indicate that uh, they are watching doctors and things have been brought to their attention and they send letters by certified receipt. They basically are threats. They are threats against doctors trying to have free interchange and scientific presentation of data. Why do you think this is happening the way that it's happening? What instigated the politicization of healthcare to this extent? What's going on? They say when you mix medicine and politics, you get politics. And the lifeblood of medicine is scientific interchange and, and discourse. As an academic physician, I spend a huge amount of my time just interchanging information with other doctors. I used to travel uh, many segments per year to go to meetings and interchange information. I'm the editor of two major journals. I review data every day. That's what we do. In any attempt such as this uh, threatening letter, uh, attempts by universities, I've been stripped of professorships at two medical schools here in Dallas-Fort Worth uh, with no explanation. Basically, our attempts to uh, subvert, to suppress, and to penalize and injure those who are having review of data and discussions on COVID-19. We're trying to handle information that is of public health importance, and we have a right to do that. We actually have laws against suppression of discourse on topics of public interest. That First Amendment thing kind of gets in the way. Americans don't understand how the healthcare industrial complex can do what they're doing to people like you. Uh, when Dr. Anthony Fauci and others of his ilk get up before television cameras and uh, radio shows and they tell us again and again, follow the science, follow the science. And here's the scary thing, Dr. McCullough, you know this, from the very beginning of this, we've all been forced to make decisions on information we're given to be facts, and we've trusted this particular group of people for, gosh, decades. I mean, they're objective. They, they make an oath, that Hippocratic oath. And um, it's kind of interesting, the word Hippocratic and the oath that you guys take when a bunch of them took it hypocritically. What is driving this thing? You're on the inside. You mentioned that you had been removed from a couple of institutions. Uh, that's being light. I know some of the context in which this happened, some really big positions, very important positions in really critical healthcare institutions regarding this and a lot of other things. We're talking about life and death decisions, and it's being so muddied up by the political perspective. I think it's kind of humorous in her letter she talked about you know, politicizing anything like this. Um, I mean, 
mean, politics is driving the boat now. What do you think it's happening from the bottom? What's causing all this? I'm, I may be one of the most visible people in American medicine right now, and I was actually before the COVID-19 pandemic. I'm president of a major medical society, editor of two major journals. I held a high position in one of the largest health systems in the United States. I see patients every week, so I'm, I am taking care of patients. I'm continuously board certified in internal medicine and cardiology, one of the few doctors that maintains those boards with continuous uh, certification. Uh, with repeated exams over. I'm in my fourth decade of caring for patients. I've published over 45 papers on COVID-19 because I have been so focused on the um, response to COVID-19 that every every medical doctor needs to be on board, you know, all hands on deck to face this pandemic. And I can tell you that um, my contract was not renewed at the end of January. Uh, and it was largely, uh, I think, in response to my treatment of patients with COVID-19. I compassionately did the best I could to care for patients with COVID-19 while major medical centers offered nothing for patients. You know, to this day, there's no Harvard protocol for treating COVID-19 as an outpatient. Mayo Clinic didn't do anything. Uh, Duke, uh, Emory, uh, you name it. None of these medical centers had a single clinic to actually treat outpatients with COVID-19. They didn't have any protocols. There was no innovation. So I filled that gap and I really suffered the consequences of this. I was uh, shown the door uh, and had changed into a private practice. I signed a separation agreement. I honored the agreement because I'm still on staff at the two major hospitals. I maintained my privileges uh, and uh, redid my insurance contracts with the private group. And now the day that my health system announced the vaccine mandate, which is uh, completely uh, not wanted and ill-advised, they announced a lawsuit against me stating that I had violated my separation agreement that I had brought in the health systems uh, and my previous employer, the medical group and the, and the health system, that I have falsely affiliated myself with them. I can tell you, I've had many leadership positions in my career. I, I don't carry forward prior titles and prior positions. I was the chief academic scientific officer in St. John Providence Health System in Detroit. That was a far higher position than I hold in my in the health system where i'm currently on staff now so i've always speak as an individual just like this threatening letter i just got yesterday from the american college of physicians i don't speak on behalf of them or anyone else and this lawsuit that i'm facing now is a giant financial drain uh an emotional drain which fundamentally represents a frivolous lawsuit where the health system has gone out and secured external counsel so they're spending their own money with external counsel who's happy to uh, develop the billable hours to continue and drag out this lawsuit against me uh, with no merit as completely baseless attempt to try to silence my scientific discourse and leadership in the pandemic. And as you pointed out, my opinion has been relied upon by the U.S. Senate, multiple other uh, uh, bodies of government. Uh, my opinion is relied upon in scientific interchange. I was a featured speaker at the International uh, COVID-19 Summit in Rome that just occurred. And I am free to do that. As a scientist, I'm free to do that. Every statement I make regarding the pandemic is grounded in citations and cited in the medical literature, whether it's preprint or fully peer-reviewed publications. We are not seeing that degree of precision by our public health uh, agencies right now. The staffers that you mentioned, the, the FDA, CDC, and FDA, they serve doctors and patients. We don't work for them. And they don't take a Hippocratic oath. 
the doctor does. And so the doctor and the patient sit above those health agencies and they have shared decision-making in a fiduciary relationship. Those agencies can provide data and support for us, but in no way can those agencies tell us what to do. On a private level, COVID-19 is scaring everybody to death. People that are not in healthcare, people that are in healthcare. I can't tell you how many people we've had on this show that have called in or we've interviewed that uh, are in the medical community. Very influential positions. They're scared to death. Not because of COVID-19 so much as they are the way those that they work for are treating them and driving down these egregious policies. Uh, Doctor, I think the worst thing going on right now is the fear that is permeating the American people because they're getting so many mixed signals from the people that for generations we've trusted for truth in medicine. I think the really difficult piece is, is that nobody's coming forward and giving a real explanation for the politicization of this disease. You, you, can, you can believe COVID-19 is bad without falling into the trap of totalitarianism and uh, government, big government coming in and making everybody in the nation do what they say to do. We're looking at the landscape of America changing at its fiber and doing it in the name of health care. Um, I want to I want to come back to this before we get to the end of this today. I want to come back and you talk a little bit more about what you're facing, and uh, I want to first of all I want you to share what I know about you regarding hydroxychloroquine, ivermectin, other parts of this real grassroots treatment of COVID nineteen that have worked, and why oh why is mainstream medicine turning their back on things that have worked for decades among Americans and people around the world. I'm talking about specifically hydroxychloroquine. And I'll just tell you this, in my own family, here's what we faced when COVID-19 struck. As you said, traditional health care. They go to an urgent care center or they go to a doctor. Nobody will treat COVID-19 other than treating some of the symptoms And they'll tell you, we have no protocol for doing that. My doctor, a good friend of mine, thankfully, my wife got a really bad case of COVID-19 in the summertime, last summer. And uh, she was sick for days doing the traditional stuff. Finally, called our buddy, the doctor. He brought her in. She had pneumonia. She had other complications. And uh, he put her on hydroxychloroquine, azithromycin, Gave her a steroid shot, some breathing stuff, and in two days, she's back on her feet. Five other people in our immediate family have faced the same thing. They go to their normal, everyday physician, and they don't treat the disease. They treat only the symptoms. And they say they don't have authority to do anything beyond that. What is going on with this? Doctors always have authority to treat patients. That's the oath that they took. And that authority cannot be undermined by any public health agency, media outlet, or political directive. I think our CDC, FDA, and NIH are injecting fear into America by not offering high-quality early treatment protocols, by putting a chill on early treatment, by making negative statements about hydroxychloroquine, ivermectin, 
by not making monoclonal antibodies abundantly available through public health messaging. They're doing all of that, and that's creating fear, anxiety, suffering, hospitalization, and death. And at the same time, those same agencies are wildly promoting the vaccine. The vaccine is not a treatment. Americans know that. When they get sick, whether they've been vaccinated or not, they need treatment. And my major contribution is to settle down fear in this nation by publishing high-quality protocols. I've done it twice now, American Journal of Medicine and Reviews in Cardiovascular Medicine in 2020, peer-reviewed publications, you know, hundreds of citations where we use drugs in combination. I just finished advisory calls in Maryland and in Alabama before I got on with you hearing great stories about patients, high-risk patients getting treated with monoclonal antibodies early in the course. We have Regeneron, we have millions of doses available for individuals, giving Regeneron up front and then sequencing the other drugs in, including hydroxychloroquine, supported by 250 studies, uh, ivermectin supported by over 60 studies, uh, and then the other drugs, as you mentioned, steroids, and importantly in high-risk seniors, aspirin and anticoagulants. We can get America through this pandemic with early treatment, outpatient treatment at home. What I want your listeners to understand is they don't have to be railroaded into the hospital. The only people being hospitalized, to my knowledge at this point in time, are those who receive no treatment or treatment has started too late. Everyone starts out with a mild case, never assume it's mild, high-risk people over age 50, multiple medical problems, seek early treatment. You're in Texas, and uh, you know the landscape of healthcare in Texas. You know pretty much what's going around because your ears to the wind, you hear it all. We, of course, heard only from the mainstream media. People are going nuts in Texas. Hospitals are filled up. No beds, no ICU units available. My son is in management at a large Dallas-Fort Worth hospital. And in the midst of this, he sends me numbers daily. Yeah, it's slightly elevated, but there's no panic in his hospital. It's one of three in the particular system he works in over there. I won't mention which one it is. You probably do know. They were in the in the height of the COVID-19 pandemic issues last year. Those three facilities became the go-to place for seriously ill COVID patients. And they were, as you said, those that did not get treatment or did not get treatment early enough and really got in a bad way. It doesn't. I've never seen anything like this, where we're not getting real information up front about healthcare issues. Everybody's waiting until it becomes serious, and then, of course, you get into ICU, and all the possibilities come into it. Um, tell us, go backwards a little bit. Tell us how our listeners can get in touch with the information that you have out there, a plethora of it, to instruct us how to treat this from the beginning to keep it from getting serious. Hospitals have done a wonderful job treating patients and building capacity. I I want your listeners to understand that hospitals have the ability to handle acutely ill patients with COVID-19. Hospitals are not overflowing because the administrators have done a wonderful job in building capacity. Uh, But I think any hospital that ever makes a press release regarding uh, being overflowed with COVID-19 patients ought to be asked themselves, why don't they have an early treatment program and COVID-19 outpatient treatment clinics in order to keep people out of the hospital? These hospitals have fallen flat on outpatient treatment, and that has really been uh, uh, brought to America by uh, agencies that have filled the gaps. Since our hospitals didn't do it, 
Our academic medical centers didn't do it. And our major government agencies didn't do it. Well, who did? Uh, first off was the Association of American Physicians and Surgeons, AAPS, aapsonline.org. They have the list of treating doctors in the United States and the home treatment protocols, the telemedicine services available. Uh, next was the Frontline Critical Care Consortium, flcc.net. They also have protocols and a consortium of treating doctors, American Frontline Doctors, AFLDS, and then finally the Truth for Health Foundation, truthforhealth.org. These are the go-to four sites that have treatment protocols, telemedicine networks, and Americans can promptly get treatment. One of the most important calls is just a call to a local center to give a monoclonal antibody infusion. I want everyone here to be activated. If you have seniors, those over age 65 who are developing COVID-19, do not delay, demand a monoclonal antibody infusion, and don't let your local doctors tell, tell, tell them that they don't offer COVID-19 or there's no treatment for COVID-19. At this point in time, that's, that's tantamount to malpractice. So you're comfortable with telling folks, call locally and uh, get some information because you know, out there it's been really difficult to get doctors or people below there, nurses, to give any particular information without coming in. And uh, it's, it, I, I hate to say this, but it's getting to the point where a lot of people are afraid of doing just that because it seems to end up in the hospital, flooding hospitals, maybe not needing it, but once they get there, they find themselves in really bad shape. And I'm not, I'm not pointing a finger at the medical institutions. I'm pointing a finger at the unknowns out there that are scaring people to death. It, it's, it's not like people like you are getting up in front of television cameras. You and Dr. Harvey Risch are the two preeminent people in your business that are regularly getting out there and making people feel a little bit more comfortable that uh, COVID-19 doesn't have to be a death sentence. You're exactly right. I encourage everyone to make a few calls ahead of time. Know where the monoclonal antibody infusions are done in their community and ask their doctor. Just call the front desk and say, listen, if I get COVID-19, is my doctor ready to, to call in an order for a monoclonal antibody infusion. You know, the Regeneron infusion, it's, it's actually two antibodies, uh, a carizivimab and indivimab. These are terrific products. They've even been tested against the new strains, including the Delta strain, and they work against uh, Delta in uh, preclinical models. And clinically, my experience is it works fine. Everybody should demand these monoclonal antibody infusions, uh, certainly those over age 65 and, uh, and, and high-risk features, younger people who have multiple medical problems. Uh, former President Trump received them. Uh, Governor Abbott in Texas received them. He actually is vaccinated, had a breakthrough case. And recently, podcaster Joe Rogan, uh, Rogan received the monoclonal antibodies. Then the other drugs in combination, and, and patients ought to demand them. They should demand ivermectin, hydroxychloroquine, doxycycline, and steroids, colchicine, inhaled budesonide. Everybody should have aspirin, full-dose aspirin at home, and then anticoagulants for high-risk seniors. It takes four to six drugs. No single drug is essential. People want to make uh, ivermectin a lightning rod or hydroxychloroquine a lightning rod. You can actually treat the syndrome without these medicines. As you implied, it, it, they certainly help, and they help especially early on. But I don't want everybody to get hung up on a single drug. It takes about four to six drugs in a sequence combination. That's what I brought the world in my two publications with a lot of help. Second paper in December of 2020, I had 57 authors. We had the leading doctors that, that uh, conference in Rome just had dozens and dozens of doctors all over the world treating COVID-19 with innovative multi-drug regimens. 
if you would, would you send me, you've got the way to contact me, would you send me those papers or how people can get them so we can publish them so they can look in for themselves? I certainly will. Some of the most important links people want to know when their doctor falls flat and tells them they don't treat COVID-19 and does, they don't make a referral. Uh, patients to go on the scramble and they start to search for doctors uh, who will treat COVID-19. You know, we have about 500 doctors right now trying to treat the whole country. We've got a million doctors sitting on the sidelines. We've got half a million nurse practitioners and physician assistants. We have to engage the public who needs to engage our doctors, have them break their, their, their grip of fear that's over them, and they need to step out and start treating patients, order these monoclonal antibodies, and get patients into a good sequence multi-drug regimen. It's not too hard to prescribe prednisone or to prescribe doxycycline as ethamycin. They do it all the time for asthma and, uh, and, and bronchitis and other conditions. Uh, doctors are just frozen in fear when it comes to treating COVID-19. They could do it over the phone. It's no personal risk to them. And we've got to break this grip of fear. Doctors need to start to step up and treat COVID-19. It's too late when people get to the hospital. Wow. Well, let's switch gears real quickly. Vaccines, you mentioned that just a few minutes ago. Again, it's another thing that's paralyzing the nation. People are horrified when they hear about these uh, adverse reactions to vaccinations that are published on the CDC's own website. Every Friday, VAERS section, approximately 20,000 people have had adverse reactions um, to J&J, Moderna, Pfizer primarily, and uh, people don't know what to do about the vaccinations. And especially now that, not the healthcare profession, but the, the Biden administration have come out and they're going to mandate. They've, they tell us it's gonna happen. It hasn't happened yet through executive order, but we're expecting it any time. Give us the truth about these vaccinations. What should we do? What should we not do? Who should we listen to? I think the public should know that doctors are now under direct threat from the American Board of uh, Internal Medicine, the related uh, board certification credentialing bodies, as well as the Federation of State Medical Boards for their licenses. They're under direct threats on any comments they make on the vaccine in public. And the threat deals with misinformation uh, and uh, dissemination of misinformation. We have no idea who's gonna be the arbiter of what's information and misinformation. Uh, what the CDC asks Americans to do is go to VAERS, Vaccine Adverse Event Reporting System, and review the data for themselves. Go to VAERS. And so one of the resources that uh, your listeners can do is go to open VAERS let me type it in here so I get it right. OpenVares.com slash index and go ahead and bring up the, uh, the report. They will have uh, a, a basically an entire overview of uh, everything that's been reported and certified to the CDC. And I can tell you that this is information, not inf- misinformation. I will just read the data for you so it's uh, indisputable. As of September 9th, 2021, in VAERS, there's been 675,591 safety reports, 14,506 deaths that have occurred after the vaccine, 
over 200,000 hospitalization, urgent care visits, and office visits. And the, th- the, the um, problems that the FDA is, has official warnings on, for instance, myocarditis with Pfizer and Moderna, there's been 5,371 cases of myocarditis. And then with Johnson & Johnson, the problems being blood clots uh, as well as paralysis. In that case, looking at the data, there have been um, related 7,911 cases of Bell's palsy, which is paralysis of the face. There's been 18,439 individuals permanently disabled, probably along the lines of neurologic injury. I can tell you these numbers are astronomical. Uh, even if half the country has taken the vaccine, these numbers are unacceptably high. We've never had a vaccine that's taken this type of toll on Americans throughout our history. Since CDC started using the uh, VARS reports um, 1991, keeping records of adverse reactions to every kind of vaccine, from that day back in 91 until January 1 this year, the total number of deaths attributed to vaccinations reported by VARES in all those years, 30 years, was 1,900. And you just mentioned that the CDC on the VARES site is reporting 14,000 deaths as of September. That's, um, that's a pretty big difference. That's something that should be concerning to every American. Yet we're not hearing any of the quote-unquote big-time officials that have at least a lot of face time on television, like Dr. Fauci, they won't even address these things. This is feeding the frenzy, the fear, the paralysis that a lot of Americans have because they know things just aren't quite right. So uh, saying that, saying that, you feel like the first line of defense for us all would be this early getting after the stuff that you're talking about, the combination of four or five or six different mes- uh, medicines, um, the uh, monoclonal um, IV treatment, especially if you're 65 or older. Those are the best ways to get started. But where do you think the vaccines fit into the picture? We had great hope for the vaccines as they came out of the registrational trials against the legacy variants of the virus, they had 90% vaccine efficacy, even though the absolute risk reductions were less than 1%, meaning hardly anybody who got the vaccine or placebo was actually challenged with COVID-19 in their life over the course of two months of being in the trial. The vaccine still looked effective and you know, large numbers of Americans took the vaccine in December, January, February. But we had by January 22nd, we already had 186 deaths that exceeded the annual rate of death of 150 for all the vaccines combined. So we had a problem January 22nd with only 27 million Americans vaccinated. And if we would have had a data safety monitoring board, uh, a critical event committee and human ethics committee over the program, which which is a giant uh, mistake to not have these, the program would have been shut down in February because of safety, much like the swine flu program was shut down after 25 deaths, it ultimately went up to, I think, about 43, 53 deaths. Uh, but the swine flu program was shut down because uh, it was related to death and paralysis uh, in 1976. The, the COVID-19 vaccine program would have been shut down just like that if we had proper safety mechanisms in place. But you know, we, we're now nine months into the program. Our CDC and FDA that's running the program, they have not given a report card to Americans on how the vaccines are doing. Americans are told to take a vaccine but they're not told which one. And I can tell you, we're nine months into the program. We've got three products. They're not the same. Moderna's 100 micrograms of messenger RNA. Pfizer's 30 micrograms of messenger RNA. 
Johnson & Johnson is an adenoviral DNA vector. These are very different products, very different doses. There must be a winner, there must be a loser, there must be somebody in between. Uh, the, the CDC and FDA are way overdue in giving America a report card on how the vaccines are doing, which is the best one, and how can it be administered safely? We don't want another American to be injured or die after the vaccine. We have a paper from the CDC by Habers and colleagues that tells us in June of 2021, 23% of Americans hospitalized were partially or fully vaccinated. Americans know this. The vaccines are not stopping severe COVID-19 requiring hospitalization. And so the, the next choice as someone is trying to face the vaccines is uh, is going to have to be guided by the CDC and FDA uh, data. I'm, I'm not sure how Americans can make a decision on the vaccine unless our CDC and FDA give us a report card on the vaccines. How can they, which one's the best, and how can it be given safely? I think they're not giving us information because they either don't have it, they don't rely on it, or they just don't want us to know. I happen to get the VAERS report every Friday. I'm just looking at one that came out on the 30th of July. It showed mortalities, a lot of other things, but I'll just do that. Uh, Johnson & Johnson, 658. Moderna, 3,167. Pfizer, 8,511. And death from unknown. Which of these three was the vaccine of choice? A total of 12,374 total deaths at the hands of all these vaccines combined adverse reactions to them. this breakthrough infection thing that popped up a couple of months ago when that began to happen, that wasn't supposed to be a, a byproduct of these vaccinations. We were never told that they might work for a period of time but then stop working. Um, did these breakthrough infections, were was that a surprise to you happening? It was. I thought the vaccines would hold out much better, but what had happened is the virus mutated. And so that we're now 98% Delta. And the Delta variant shown in a paper by Venkata Krishnan, again, high quality medical information, Venkata Krishnan showed the antigenic escape that the virus is mutated and the Delta variant can now escape the effect of the vaccines. In Israel, by the Israeli health ministry, again, data over the course of the month of July, for instance, over 80% of people with COVID-19 had been partially or fully vaccinated. They now have uh, vaccine breakthroughs occurring through the booster. And it makes uh, sense that if the vaccines don't cover Delta, that doesn't matter how much that you boosted, that in fact patients will develop COVID-19. So this idea of hurry up and get a booster, if it hasn't been adjusted to cover the Delta variant, the question Americans are asking is why? Why should I go take the risk of a booster when in fact I can end up with having COVID-19? Again, healthcare workers are asking the question, why do I have to to follow a mandate as a healthcare worker to get an injection? This paper that I'm uh, reviewing right now in front of me by uh, Jocelyn Keener et al. from the University of California San Diego Health System in the New England Journal of Medicine shows more infections in vaccinated workers with the Delta variant than unvaccinated workers. So th- this idea that we're gonna vaccinate healthcare workers and reduce infections among that group 
is not supported by data published in the New England Journal of Medicine. When Americans hear this, when they hear this story about Israel, and we reported on it, we actually published that report from Israel, um, they're the most vaccinated country on the planet. Higher percentage in Israel vaccinated than any other country. And as you mentioned, in September, 80%, 80% of the cases ended up in the hospital were among those that had been vaccinated, at least in part. Um, in medicine, typically what happens when they see, when they being experts like yourself, when you see something on the horizon, you ring the bell, the warning bell. And all we heard for over a year was vaccinations. You get the vaccination, you'll never be sick with this thing. If you don't, there's a good chance you're going to die over and over and over. And when the experts give us this information, something so critical, and then all of a sudden what they told us just doesn't work out that way. I'm not pointing a finger or blaming anybody for anything. I'm saying this just feeds into the frenzy of people screaming and crying for facts on which they can make decisions. Have you, in your memory, I think you and I are about the same age. Do you remember a time in healthcare in the United States where we faced something similar to this? It's unprecedented. There's no doubt about it. I testified in the U.S. Senate November 19, 2020, that in my view, my opinion, is we needed a balanced approach. We had to have measures to try to reduce the spread of infection. Number one, that's pillar number one. Pillar number two, early treatment. If without early treatment, we can't stop these hospitalizations or deaths. So early treatment, the most important pillar. Pillar number three, treat patients in the hospital the best we can, provide support. And pillar number four, vaccination. It should have been a balanced approach. And what we ended up with is an incredibly imbalanced approach. Our agencies and our government bet the farm that the vaccine would save America and, you know, the vaccine would save Israel and save Iceland and save the UK and the rest of the world. And it's obvious from all these data sources that the vaccine is not saving the world from the vaccine, that the vaccine doesn't work well enough in everyone and is not safe in everyone to employ on a mass scale. Well, let's segue from that then to the obvious, the 900-pound gorilla in the room, vaccine mandates. This is really turning into a debacle at every level of government and in private life. What is is your opinion about the mandates? And first of all, I'm not asking you as a legal professional. I'm asking you as a doctor, does this sound like a good idea to do at all? Mandates are a disastrous idea. And I hope some of your listeners are in decision-making roles at their organizations, as well as those uh, in state houses of government that um, we've seen mandates roll from uh, various organizations all overreaching the voluntary program. People have to understand when they go sign consent for a COVID-19 vaccine, it's stated right in the paperwork there that it is uh, voluntary and that it's investigational. And mandates, no matter where they come from, federal, state, or private levels, we cannot force Americans into research. We can't do it. It's unethical, it's immoral, and from a civil perspective, it's illegal. It violates the Nuremberg Code, which says no one under any circumstances should receive any pressure, coercion, or threat of reprisal to have something injected in their body that they don't want. So we are violating a human line of morality 
that we are going to have to uh, address at a very high level and and swiftly now because there's very little time people are fearful of losing their jobs uh, becoming economically destroyed at the end of a mandate for vaccines that are investigational none of them commercially available in the United States are FDA approved and doesn't matter if they're approved or not because if they don't work in everyone and they're not completely safe in everyone what a, what the next person taking a vaccine is really worried about they're losing worried about losing their life or becoming permanently injured and they're doing this in order to try to preserve their job and, and sometimes we don't even know if, if that preservation of the job is going to be three months or six months before a booster comes up so it's not like it's a vaccine and you have, you know, a year or five years or 10 years of employment without any more uh, threat of a vaccine. But now the threat of a vaccine and booster could be coming up just a few months down the road. Real quickly, give us your opinion of the ivermectin debacle that's happened publicly. It's been very sad. We saw it in 2020. We saw a huge campaign against hydroxychloroquine, which is safe and effective in COVID-19. So it, it obviously became politicized. And uh, now in 2021, next up on the political agenda is ivermectin, again, safe and effective in COVID-19, well supported by the science, was absolutely attacked uh, after uh, podcaster Joe Rogan had received, he actually received monoclonal antibodies and ivermectin in a sequence combination. He received a state-of-the-art treatment. And uh, when this got out there, there was a huge attack against ivermectin. This went through statements by the American Medical Association. It trickled down the pharmacy boards. It was all in all of our uh, newsletters uh, to um, put a chill on the uh, prescription of ivermectin. Let me just tell you, the next thing up is We've recently endorsed through the AAPS guide the use of betadine or povidone iodine just in a very dilute, a few drops in a glass of water and just swish and spit it out as well as nasal spray to reduce the viral load in the nose and the mouth because we know the Delta variant is being carried at high viral loads, particularly in those who are vaccinated. So we want to reduce this with a prophylaxis. And I'm looking at MedPage Today, which is a physician newsletter, and the very first uh, story comes up. It says betadine, no. And there's a scare piece published in this medical newsletter. It says here, some people are drinking gargling povidone iodine to treat COVID-19, causing experts to warn that ingesting the antiseptic is toxic. It's not helpful in fighting SARS-CoV-2 and may lead to iodine poisoning and kidney failure. That was in the Oklahoma City uh, newspaper in Newsweek. This is another attempt to try to scare Americans. This has now been shown in randomized and non-randomized studies. It's very safe and effective. It's a dilute antiseptic and uh, it's standard of care in Singapore and in Asia and across the world. And here we are with a article in a doctor's newsletter trying to discourage doctors from even the simplest oral and nasal antiseptic technique that's supported in concept by the American Dental Association you know, using for other viral infections for cytomegalovirus and Epstein-Barr virus, they actually use oral and nasal uh, antiseptic techniques. And, and, and dilute betadine or povidone iodine is one. Dilute hydrogen peroxide is another. A dilute sodium hypochlorite, uh, which is uh, uh, household bleach, just a few drops, does the same thing. I remember President Trump trying to articulate that uh, in the past. And then even 
Listerine. So I wonder if the next hit piece is going to be against Listerine mouthwash. <laughs> it, it seems like, Dan, it seems like anything that people can do to try to protect themselves against COVID-19, the media, in this case, the medical media, and this is MedPage, uh, puts out um, absolutely uh, corrupt misinformation in order to scare doctors and then scare patients away from protecting themselves against COVID-19. The other day I was confronted by someone I was talking about ivermectin and they just confronted me telling me it uh, it's only used for animals, it doesn't do any good and I pointed out the purveyors of ivermectin in 2015, the two experts, doctors, scientists, um, received the Nobel Prize for healthcare <laughs> for their work with ivermectin and now we're damning ivermectin just because somebody in the media came out and said it wasn't good. We've gotten to that point. What about, again, I want to go back to where we started in the beginning of what is happening to you right now. I'm looking at Wikipedia. Anybody has kind of been conditioned through the years, when you want information about anything or anybody, your go-to source is Wikipedia. Doctor, I don't need to tell you this, they have excoriated you in Wikipedia. What's this all about? Well, I've never created a Wikipedia page. I thought about it in the past, but I, I never <laughs> maybe did you it. Should, maybe you should and, have. <laughs> and uh, it turns out Wikipedia, uh, one cannot control their own autobiography. So um, uh, in the last year, someone has created a Wikipedia page on me. In fact, I think there are two Wikipedia pages. There's somebody in Illinois named the, the Alpman, A-L-P-M-A-N, so I might as well expose this person. And he's put 256 entries on me. It falsely states an affiliation with um, Texas A&M University. I've been stripped of my professorship there. It falsely asserts my old title at Baylor University Medical Center, of which I'm under a lawsuit. So somebody in Wikipedia is actually intentionally promoting my legal difficulties with the Baylor Scott and White health system, which is now costing me enormous amounts of, of personal finances to fund a legal defense on it. You can't imagine how bad this is when someone can write an, an autobiography on you and they can control your life on Wikipedia. There's even a section on the page called COVID-19 misinformation. Well, I've already told you the Federation of State Medical Boards and the uh, American Bar of Internal Medicine are gonna hunt doctors for misinformation. So now there's a statement on the internet that I have um, uh, promulgated misinformation, which I have not, but I can't control it. And now this is gonna probably result in um, my uh, threading of my medical license, my board certifications and my livelihood. And they cite misinformation, my sworn Senate testimony to the Texas Senate in March 2021. Well, let me tell your listeners, the sworn testimony is exactly that. It's the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. It's just like in a court of law. And so when people are sworn in and they give their opinions, that's not misinformation. That's information that the person is giving under sworn testimony. So I can't tell you how frustrated I am. I can't seem to bring this Wikipedia page down. I've been locked out of Wikipedia. Um, I can't stop it. This is a freight train of, um, of slander, of defamation, and uh, destroying, it's destroying professional careers right now. 
as I've spent my entire career trying to help patients. A lot of your listeners know I work morning, noon, and night to help patients. I've treated every patient I possibly could and do the best I can. I answer every email, every desperate phone call uh, that comes my way, and yet I'm being crushed in social media, the mass media, and um, and now we see, uh, unfortunately, patients being harmed with intentional misinformation on uh, availability of monoclonal antibodies, ivermectin, hydroxychloroquine, and now even betadine, oral nasal hygiene to reduce viral load. Let me l- cover your ears, doctor. I want to give our, our listeners three sentences from your Wikipedia page that you just referenced. Here's the first one. In April 2020, McCullough led a study of the antimalarial medication hydroxychloroquine as a treatment for COVID-19 for the Baylor Scott and White Medical Center. McCullough told the Wall Street Journal that the urgency of the public health crisis justified compromises on best practices in medical research. In July, after major studies found hydroxychloroquine was ineffective against COVID-19 and the FDA revoked its EUA, emergency use authorization, McCullough supported a second EUA. That's two sentences. And then the first sentence, and I'll stop here. In the section you referenced, COVID-19 misinformation, here's what they open that with. Some of McCullough's public statements contributed to the spread of COVID-19 misinformation. Nothing, nothing could be further from the truth. Hey, doctor, this is like um, if I have a close friend named Bill. We're really good friends. I know his wife. I know his family. And we go to a, let's say, a football game together. And we're walking out in a crowd of people that many know me and they know Bill. And Bill's about five or six over. And so while we're walking out, I scream across the top of the crowd, Hey, Bill, when did you stop beating your wife? Well, everybody that knows Bill and knows me, they're going to go, oh my gosh, we didn't know Bill beat his wife. Bill can't say one word to defend himself. Nobody's going to believe him. That's kind of the conundrum you're in right now with this thing. How do you get this purged? Can we get it purged? I don't know a way of of taking down a Wikipedia page. If I did, I would. my view is I'm a private person and I don't authorize anybody to write anything about me without my permission. The hydroxychloroquine studied at uh, Baylor University Medical Center, that study was a positive study. It was under full investigational drug application with the FDA. We did that in March. It was a prophylactic study. It's a positive study. <clears throat> it's generated several publications, uh, preliminary publications on antibodies in healthcare workers and the final publication has been submitted for um, peer review. Uh, so everything about that is above board and completely certified by the FDA. I can tell you that I've never advocated uh, shortcuts. We need large-scale randomized trials of multiple drugs in combination. They just don't exist right now. And when they come forward, uh, I'll be the first one to welcome them. In fact, I should lead them for America to make sure they're done in a proper manner. But what I have advocated is treating patients now and not waiting on large-scale clinical trials that aren't even planned yet. And that's not a shortcut. That's called the precautionary principle. This is a mass casualty situation. Americans are dying. And doctors need to use their judgment and use drugs in combination to reduce the risk of hospitalization and death. That's not a shortcut. That's appropriate medical care. And I think it's deplorable that Wikipedia 
would have these types of statements in there misleading the readership of the world. Uh, it basically is a form of defamation. Uh, not only that, but it's misleading. It's giving misinformation to the readers that's, that's harming them in their attempt to try to prevent and treat COVID-19. What can our audience do to intervene and help you in this? I think the audience ought to log into Wikipedia, take a look at it, and let them know that Dr. McCullough did not authorize these Wikipedia pages, that they should be removed immediately. They have no right in putting them up there as a form of slander. I think the listeners ought to immediately call their doctors and understand where the monoclonal antibodies are and how they can they get them for high-risk seniors over age 65. Uh, and those who um, are at risk at younger age, everybody should have a copy of the AAPS online or truthforhealth.org uh, home treatment guides. They're basically the, the same document. Everybody should have a list of the treating doctors as a backup in case their doctor doesn't pick up the phone to help them. I want every American to get a full run at early treatment. If they're over age 50, medical problems, a full run at early treatment in order to reduce the risk of hospitalization and death. The vast majority of these hospital hospitalizations don't need to happen at all if patients, as you mentioned, were just treated at home for COVID-19. I'm going to take this one step further. I happened to sit by a IT expert in a church service in Modesto, California this past Sunday morning. I reached out to him and asked him to listen in to the show today. I'm asking any IT expert out there to contact the show and talk to us about what can be done via the internet, editing, whatever is possible out there to strip the fallacies from this Wikipedia page, if not delete this page altogether and allow Dr. McCullough, let him get somebody who's working with and for him to post the truth in this. This is defamation at the highest level and people make life and death decisions regarding their health care and the health care of their families based upon things like this information. We're all dying for information, maybe literally, doctor. And when we can't get the good stuff or when we get anything, we're not confident that we can trust it. It's the purveyor of fear. We got to get this stopped. Thank you so much. And anything your listeners can do to um, help uh, stamp out misinformation, false Wikipedia pages like this, and also support the cause. You know, Truth for Health Foundation has a wonderful opportunity to support the cause. Under donations, you can find the um, Medical Censorship Defense Fund, uh, which is a tax-deductible way of donating to try to promote uh, discussion like we've had today, Dan Free, uh, scientific discourse, that's been well cited. I cited the sources of literature that we talked about today. I cited the websites, and so did you, where uh, listeners can get information, uh, get life-saving information on treatment, also get important information on vaccine safety. Uh, so what we're doing is a public health service, and this is a good way of supporting it. Truthforhealth.org. Go to donate Medical Censorship Defense Fund. Dr. Peter McCullough, I can't thank you enough for giving us this time today. Let me just tell you this. You got my phone number. You have where we are. Anytime you have something that you need to get out to a whole lot of people, we have people right now listening in Australia, New Zealand, in Northern Europe, and of course all over North America. A lot of Americans 
come here looking for facts and looking for truth. Kind of like the things you gave us today. You're welcome to come back anytime. Well, thank you. And you don't need to wait for us to contact you. If you got something you want to put out, give me a phone call. I'll do that. And I'll also point your listeners to America Out Loud Talk Radio, the McCullough Report. I put out a report every week. Uh, it's, again, meticulously cited. I interview experts all over the world. Uh, it's not just doctors, but it's uh, other healthcare personnel, PhDs. I've interviewed naturopathic doctors, lawyers, uh, others involved in the pandemic response. McCullough Out, uh, America Out Loud, Talk Radio, The McCullough Report. Thank you, Doc. See you soon. Thank you. The show is better when you're a part of it. So be a part of it. Join Dan at 1-866-37-TRUTH. TNN Live. The Truth News Network. Or online all the time at truthnewsnet.org. Out for some lays and you face a test. Which tasty chip will be the best? Sour cream and onion smoky barbecue. Cheddar sour cream salt and vinegar too. You sample them all cause the crisp is so good on your lips. Yeah. You left your wallet at home, but now you have a new best friend. The many flavors of Lay's chips. One taste and you're in love. Whether holding down the fort or bouncing back to school, childhood is always in session. So keep feeding us right with sun-made snacks. Just like when you were a kid. Remember their naturally sweet raisins? Yup, still delicious. And so are Sunmate's other snacks, like creamy yogurt-covered raisins, sour raisin snacks that taste like sour candy with no added sugar, and Sunmate's new s'mores and birthday cake bites. All delicious, all made with whole fruit. Sunmade snacks. That's what we promise you here at Truth News Network every day. Facts. We promise you facts. And you got some pretty heavy-duty facts there from Dr. Peter McCullough. You got to admit it. Here's a guy that has the cred, the credibility, has the credentials. And he has a lifetime, folks, of feeding the healthcare industry, noted as one of the greatest on planet Earth, and the political pundits in healthcare have gone after him with a vengeance. I guess basically what that proves is that nobody is exempt from the politicization of anything. If those who control the narrative, like, you know, Facebook, Twitter, Google, Dr. Fauci, (laughs) when they control the narrative, it's hard to get the truth in edgewise. And the truth is a pretty big deal. We're going to have Dr. McCullough back. And um, he's agreed to keep us posted on anything new that comes up that we need to know the facts about. And I want to thank you for being here for it today. Oh, by the way, we have a few other things happening in the world around us besides whether or not we're going to be mandated for COVID-19 vaccination. That thing that happened overnight out in California, i got to be honest with you, I wasn't too surprised that uh, Governor Gavin Newsom pushed back to effectively the recall uh, election in an attempt to make him get out of governing the state of California. But what did surprise me was how many Californians rose up 
against the egregious policies of that governor. Conservative talk radio host Larry Elder, he ran in a valiant race. He's a native Californian, native of a suburb of Los Angeles, and boy, he was excoriated every day by the mainstream media. Big tech went after him. They wrote, we understand $83 million total in checks in support of Gavin Newsom. Larry Elder went up against that. He told us, supporters of him, Larry Elder, to be gracious in defeat. He conceded the results of that election last night. But uh, he didn't do too bad, folks. As of Wednesday morning, the no vote led the yes vote by nearly 2 to 1, 64.2% to 35.8%. That's a stunning result, given that several polls of likely California voters in late July showed Newsom without the margin of error or even losing. We may have lost the battle, Elder said, but we're going to win the war. I like that. That's pretty positive. But what killed me is the second part of the election, which is where if Newsom was recalled, who would you put in his spot? Larry Elder almost got 50%. Almost half of the Californians had voted. They said, if, if, um, if we get Newsom out, we want Larry Elder in. So I think that result portends what might be happening just across the nation. As we talked about with uh, Dr. McCullough, Americans are tired. Apparent Americans are sick. They're afraid of being more afraid. They're tired of being fearful. And they want facts, and they want people that spin those facts. i got to be honest with you. California, for a long time, especially at the top of the heap in politics, not factual at all. I'll tell you a quick little story before we move on. As you heard me tell Dr. McCullough, I was in California over the weekend, and I flew into Sacramento, which is the capital of the state. That's where um, Gavin Newsom lives. Oh, by the way, he sold his $6 million mansion in San Francisco that overlooked the bay. I don't know why he did that. I guess maybe he was for sure planning to stay in Sacramento for a while. Anyway, I drove by the, um, the Sacramento NBA team, their facility. And it's out in basically nowhere, way south of Sacramento. And I recall the story of all that happened, how it all happened. All is the building of that facility there. There's a big span of land around the facility, which is right off the 99 freeway, which runs all the way top to bottom of California. It's in the Central Valley. And um, basically, it was just out in the country. It was the sticks. So Nancy Pelosi's husband, Paul, who's a commercial real estate developer, um, he got word from somebody that the owners of the Sacramento NBA team were looking for a new location to build an arena. And so they couldn't find a good location. They needed some help. So not Speaker of the House at the time, just a regular old member of Congress, Paul's wife, Nancy, got in the middle of it and uh, listened to the process. I'm not sure which happened first, but this is in context what happened through the whole thing. A bunch of real estate, hundreds of acres, in fact, probably several thousand acres, way south of Sacramento, got bought 
by one commercial real estate developer who created a big commercial center with all kinds of businesses and industries relocating there, great tax incentives, kind of a a special place to go in California to save money. And right in the middle of that, guess what they built? An arena for the Sacramento NBA team. And the numbers that um, that developer, who happens to be Paul, (laughs) Paul Pelosi, the number of the profits for that thing are well over $140 million. No politicization there. Ah, no, they, you know, they wouldn't do that. They were just doing what was best for that district. And by the way, that's not even Nancy Pelosi's district. Her congressional district is in San Francisco. But you know what? When you think like that, you'll do anything and everything necessary to make a dollar somewhere if you have a little power and authority and inside scoop. Just throw that out there for you to consider and think about. What else has been happening? Have you heard this thing that popped out into the marketplace of ideas yesterday about the chairman of the Joint Chiefs, General Mark Milley? Apparently, after the election in 2020, General Mark Milley had a couple of conversations with his counterpart in China. And apparently these conversations were specifically about advising the Chinese to not worry about Donald Trump. General Milley was going to make sure Donald Trump couldn't do anything egregious regarding China. Boy, it hit the fan yesterday. Senator Marco Rubio from Florida. He's called for Milley to resign for that following reports that he planned to undermine Trump and inform China if there was an impending attack following the Capitol Hill riot on January 6th. Rubio wrote a letter yesterday. He urged President Biden to dismiss, basically means fire, Mark Milley immediately charging that he undermined the former commander-in-chief of the United States Armed Forces by planning to commit treason. Rubio's word. Here's what he put in the letter. I write with grave concern regarding recent reporting that General Mark Milley, chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, worked to actively undermine the sitting commander of chief of the United States Armed Forces and contemplated a treasonous leak of classified information to the Chinese Communist Party in advance of a potential armed conflict with the People's Republic of China. These actions by General Milley demonstrate a clear lack of sound judgment. I urge you to dismiss him immediately. So there is a book coming out. Bob Woodward, one of my least favorite journalists on planet Earth. You may remember he was half of the team that broke the Watergate scandal in Richard Nixon's The Ending of His Administration way back then. Well, Robert Costa joined Bob Woodward. They've got an upcoming book titled Peril. According to that book... Milley worried that President Trump would go rogue. Those were the words quoted in the book, go rogue, and orchestrated two back-channel phone calls with China's top general, promising to inform him in advance of an attack on the communist country if one were to happen. You and I have known each other for now five years. If we're going to attack, I'm going to call you ahead of time. It's not going to be a surprise. 
Milley allegedly reportedly told his Chinese general counterpart those exact words. Now think about that for a second, folks. Think about that. Milley, I think everybody will agree right now, the United States' biggest adversary on the globe is no longer Russia. It's China. Milley picked up the phone and twice called his counterpart, whoever and whatever the title is, if he's Milley's counterpart, it'd have to be like the highest guy in the military in the whole nation of China, and told him, hey, if this rogue president, after he got voted out of office before he leaves the White House, if he tries to do something like, you know, formally attack the Chinese communist nation, Milley said, I'll give you a little heads up. Think about that. That's treason. In his letter, Rubio stressed that Milley interfered with America's civilian-controlled military, which could possibly lead to war. Rubio said, I don't need to tell you of the dangers posed by senior military officers leaking classified information on U.S. military operations. But I will underscore that such subversion undermines the president's ability to negotiate and leverage one of this nation's instruments of national power in his interactions with foreign nations. Even more egregiously, reports indicate that General Milley interfered with the procedures by which the civilian commander-in-chief can order a nuclear strike. He purportedly instructed officials not to take orders without his involvement and forced them to take an oath to that effect. Now think about that. What Rubio is saying, and apparently Rubio has seen this classified information, what he's saying is Milley told his generals, in other words, every general, every admiral in the Navy, the Army, the Air Force, and the Marines, every one of them, he told, you don't do anything without touching base with me first. General Milley has attempted to rationalize that reckless behavior by arguing that what he perceived as the military's judgment was more stable than its civilian commander. (laughs) You can't do that, folks. You cannot do that. That, by definition, is treason. And Milley, obviously, he feels like, and I mean, uh, he's, he's, he's showing that he feels that way all the time. He hated Trump and that Milley feels like he knows better than Trump does about what's best for the nation. Have you ever looked at the definition of treason? Here's one of them. Treason is the betrayal of allegiance toward one's own country, especially by committing hostile acts against it or aiding its enemies in committing such acts. Definition number two, treason is the betrayal of someone's trust or confidence. Number three, a betraying, treachery, breach of faith. And here's another definition. This one comes out of Webster. Treason is the offense of attempting by overt acts to overthrow the government of the state to which the offender owes allegiance or to kill, to kill or personally injure the sovereign or the sovereign's family. 
So one might say, you know, Milley didn't threaten President Trump. No, he didn't. But he did threaten to assist a foreigner, a big leader, number one leader of the military of China, to assist him at taking and making decisions regarding a pending attack. If the President of the United States felt like that would be warranted or even might be warranted, Billy said, I'll let you know before it happens. Aiding and abetting the enemy, that's exactly what treason is. And I, I can tell you this, if nothing else happens in this regard, Millie's got to go. If that's the only thing that can happen, he needs to leave. There is no way. He took an oath. He took an oath. His boss, whoever is in the White House at the time, is the boss of every general, every admiral, and every service member in our military organization. They all took an oath to protect and defend. And by the way, the Constitution makes it very clear. The President of the United States is the boss over the military. There's a lot of other chaos going on. A lot of other chaos. We want to get right into some big news about COVID-19. We're going to do that. We're, we're, we're really behind on breaks. We'll be gone for two minutes. Don't you go anywhere. Back after this. Lowe's knows you're a craftsman guy. You have a lot of tools. Tools for everything you've done around the house. But there's the moment you realize your new project means new tools. Yes. When tool guys need new tools, they start with Lowe's. The new home of Craftsman. Our next Starbucks customer is Ron. Hello. Strictly espresso, in and out, except during the Christmas season. Uh, I have a list. When he turns into uh, Santa. A venti iced white mocha triple shot. He's getting stickers for the new Starbucks Philippines uh, planner. A grande toffee nut latte. It's made by Moleskine? Wow, right? Venti green tea cream frappuccino. Hey, uh, you got all the stickers. No, no it's for my wife. I, I understand. The 2016 Starbucks Philippines planner by Moleskine. Promo runs November 2 to January 7, 2016. For DTI FTEB SBD permit number 10616, series of 2015. Hello, sir. I hear you having problems putting together your new kitchen unit. Oh, yeah. Uh, the instructions say... The what now? The instruction manual. It makes absolute... Stop reading that. Well, what would you suggest I use? I suggest you use the fact you're a man. Huh? Guys who got pride never relied on no guide, sucker. I'll give you some step-by-step instructions. <laughs> Buy Snickers, remove wrapper, bite chocolate, and get some nuts. Go to GetSomeNuts.tv for more Snickers Man Coach. Hi, Tom Bodette. Of all the things invented in 1962, some have faded away, like cassette tapes, and others are still very much with us, like lava lamps and Motel 6. Yep, Motel 6 is celebrating 50 years of giving travelers a good night's rest and saving you more for what you travel for. But we're just getting started. In fact, the longer you watch us, the better we get. Kind of like a lava lamp. Trippy. I'm Tom Bodette for Motel 6. 50 years and the light's still on. Speaking the truth for justice and the American way, Dan Newman. Oh my goodness. That kind of sounds like Superman. 
faster than a speeding bullet, able to leap tall buildings. That's not me. At 68 years old, I'm doing good to jump up on a short stool to change a light bulb. Wow, what a great morning today. It was so great to hear from Dr. McCullough. Uh, We've known for a long time. He is one of, if not the expert in all things epidemiology and immunology. He's one of those guys that uh, he's never out there getting political and saying, hey, just because I say this or just because I think this, everybody's got to agree with me. That's what's so refreshing. He really knows what he's talking about. His career proves that again and again and again. But he never ventured over into politics. Maybe that would have helped him if he had just gotten into the political side of it a little bit. Of course, what would have happened? You know what would have happened. I don't even need to say it. He'd have butted heads with Anthony Fauci. And Anthony Fauci has great political contacts. Why? Because he knows where everybody's skeletons are buried in politics. I guarantee you, Anthony Fauci has dirt (laughs) on Joe Biden. That's not hard to find these days. But I'm just demonstrating. Politicization of everything. It's turned into not just politicization, but the weaponization of everything. They're using a disease. Which, by the way, as Dr. McCullough confirmed, It's a serious disease, but it's preventable with early treatment. And what our medical community has adopted is not to treat it early. In fact, they'll tell you this. You go to urgent care at Willis-Knighton in Shreveport, Louisiana, and you show some symptoms that could be COVID-19, they'll give you a test, one of those two-day tests where you don't get the results for a couple of days. But then what they give you, they won't even give you a shot typically. They'll give you medication for a cold or the flu, maybe. And as you heard Dr. McCullough say, the early treatment is critical to stopping COVID-19 from becoming serious. That's when, after a certain point, and everybody's body's different. Everybody reacts differently to viruses of any kind. And this COVID-19 is no different. But timing is critical. The earlier to get real treatment, comprehensive treatment, the better the chance that it's not going to develop into something really, really serious. Hey, back to the COVID-19 and the debacles surrounding it. You know, this whole thing is still being bandied around about where the COVID-19 started, what initiated it. You remember those scientists, 27 scientists, they, um, they wrote a letter and they dismissed the idea that COVID came out of the Wuhan lab. Well, guess what we found out overnight? Of those 27 scientists who signed that high-profile letter discrediting that theory that COVID-19 came from that lab, 26 of the 27 scientists have very close ties to China. <laughs> the famous letter that was published in The Lancet, which is one of the go-to medical sources for medical professionals. The letter was decisive in closing, quote, the scientific debate on whether coronavirus was manipulated or leaked from the laboratory. Except for one of these scientists, those who signed the statement, had established a bunch of different links with Chinese researchers, their colleagues, or their benefactors. Who are some of the benefactors of these scientists? 
Well, how about the Chinese Communist Party? This letter was published in The Lancet in March of last year, 2020, described as conspiracy theories the claims that COVID-19 originated in that laboratory. Several indications pointed especially to the one at the Wuhan Institute of Virology. Among the seri- the signatories was Dr. Peter Daszak. Have you heard that name before? You've heard it here. He's chairman of the EcoHealth Alliance in Great Britain. That's the entity, and Peter Daszak is the one that initiated grants coming from the National Institutes of Health. That's where Dr. Fauci controls the purse. They would make a research grant to the EcoHealth Alliance, headed by Dr. Peter Daszak, earmarked for gain-of-function research in the Wuhan laboratory. Of course, Daszak would write a letter trying to debunk that as the originating site of COVID-19. Further inquiries made through the FOIA request, Freedom of Information Act, showed that Daszak disclosed February 8th that he composed the letter after Chinese researchers asked him for a show of support. Now, why would they even ask for a show of support? The only reason, only legitimate reason I can think of is they were scared of being outed and they wanted somebody with some authority and some contacts in the U.S., to stop the cries of, it came from the Wuhan laboratory. Playing defense. Being defensive. So you you heard Dr. Um, McCullough speak very negatively about the vaccine mandates. Not about vaccines so much, but about the mandates. One immunologist who voted for President Biden in 2020, he's now saying that he regrets his decision following these draconian COVID-19 vaccine mandates that are pending. Tuesday, the move opens the door for mass discrimination against millions of Americans. Dr. Human Nurkazm wrote on Twitter he considers himself a McCain Republican but he criticized Biden's address last week as destructive and divisive. Now, he's just one that has come out. There have been tons of other ones that have come out, and I think we're going to hear a whole lot more. are not going to be uh, too pleased with what's happening out there, and they're going to make uh, their feelings known. A federal executive department responsible for administering justice is in the process of an effort to overturn a court judgment that one U.S. immigration policy is against the law. The Department of Justice, they decided they're going to challenge a July ruling from the U.S. District Court for Texas Southern District that declares that DACA, you remember that? That's that program, the Deferred Action for Children Arrivals. It was declared that that DACA program is unlawful in court. DOJ officials are going to argue at the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals the DACA program must be restored to help migrants work and pay taxes. So let me put that in perspective. And the reason I brought this story to you is I wanted you to think through the process. Now, where did the DACA program come from and when did it happen? Well, actually what it is, 
It's supposedly to protect the children, children that come here with their illegal parents or by law illegal themselves. The DACA program was put in place. And see, a lot of these kids now, folks, that came over when they were 7, 8, 9, 10 years old are in their 40s. They're in their 40s. And the DACA program gave them temporary protection. But there's no intrinsic thing in the program that gives them a legal right to even file to become legal residents and even citizens of the United States. Democrats are foaming at the mouth, have been for a couple of decades, to make this thing permanent. And what it is, it gets them to be able to stay here indefinitely. That's what Democrats want to happen. Knowing that in some way, at some point in the future, when they have totalitarian power in government, they're going to be able to just wave a magic wand and every one of these DACA recipients will become citizens. And of course, then if that happens, they'll be obligated to vote Democrat every state and federal election. So down in Texas, I'm pretty sure you know, especially if you read today's published story at truthnewsnet.org, folks, especially along the border, are a little bit put out with the rush and the massive numbers of illegals that they're having to deal with, that they're dealing with only because Joe Biden will not enforce the law. Golly, a president of the United States that is supporting illegality himself from the White House, telling his Homeland Security Department, telling ICE, telling Border Patrol, let them come in, open the gates, let them come in. No regard for the status of their health care. Are they COVID positive? And we find out in some cases as many as 60% if they're tested after the Biden administration ships them to points all over the United States, they're COVID positive. Besides that, we don't know their legal status. We do know many who are caught and a background check run on them. They supposedly are filing for asylum when they get here. Many of them don't want to do that. They just want to disappear into the landscape of the nation. Many of those, when they're caught, we find out they are convicted criminals from their home countries. Many of them were convicted in U.S. courts, when they were here initially and then deported and then they come back now. We don't know who they are. We don't know where they are. And we don't know what they're doing. And that's okay to Joe Biden. Oh, it's because we're compassionate. Americans, we're the most compassionate nation on earth. Yeah, we always have been because we allow about a million a year immigrants to come into the nation legally. A million, one million. Now, let me put that in perspective. If you take the 194, approximate 194 other nations in the planet, and you look at their immigration laws, and all of them, they have specific numbers, the top number of immigrants they're going to immigrate into their countries legally. If you add all of those numbers together, the total number of all of those 195 other nations Legal immigrants every year don't even reach the 1 million mark. We in the United States, we allow more immigrants to come here legally each year than do every other country combined on the planet. That's not good enough. 
We want to flood the nation with illegals. We want to keep secret who's here. We want them to become subjects of the state who we can make feel obligated to us. That's from the leadership in this political party that control the House, the Senate, and the White House. And so now, Biden's Department of Justice is going to court to fight that fact. Coming to Louisiana, the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals is headquartered in New Orleans. A lot of conservatives down here, and that's a conservative-leaning appeals court, just pointing that out for folks that might uh, be looking for some forum shopping, a place to go to get a friendly verdict on a case like this. What else is happening? Have you heard about the New York brand new governor? Yeah, that's right. They threw the old thug out, forced him to resign. He was replaced by Kathy Hoschel. The new governor has written a letter to Facebook CEO Mark Zuckerberg asking him, listen to this. She wants Facebook to censor pro-life Facebook posts, label them as, in her words, false and misinformation and about a common medical procedure. That's what she says, her words. Label those posts as false misinformation about a common medical procedure. You know, that procedure where it's pretty common. All they do is kill a baby. Governor Hochul, who recently replaced Andrew Cuomo, sent a letter to Zuckerberg. She expresses her concern about the amount of interaction anti-abortion posts that we see every day on the Facebook platform. And you see it because free speech, First Amendment. Anybody can say anything about somebody else, even if it makes that other person uncomfortable. In her letter... She's a Democrat. She congratulates Facebook for its works to combat dangerous lies about vaccines because she believes that fighting misinformation can save lives. But for the governor, another critical medical issue was the subject of rampant falsehoods and misinformation, her words, that is not vaccines nor COVID. Each day, posts are liked and shared on your site, she wrote, that make false claims about abortion procedures and reproductive health legislation. There is no part of an abortion that has anything to do with the reproductive health of a woman. Let's make that clear. It has to do with one thing and one thing only, getting rid of a baby. According to the governor, between January and March of 2019, Four of the top 10 news stories with the most interactions on Facebook were from pro-life sources criticizing and mischaracterizing, her word, the New York State Reproductive Health Law. These articles, she said, memes, and other shared posts often describe horrific procedures that have no basis in reality, cite entirely made-up studies, and purposefully inflate or misrepresent public health data. The goal behind these posts is clear, to sow fear, confusion, and shame, and to advance an agenda to control women's bodies. The reason I'm giving you this verbatim story is what she just said in that paragraph illustrates the way the far left work. In everything they oppose, 
any conservative cause, any conservative law that comes up. They attack incessantly. But you know the one missing thing? Let me read this paragraph again. These articles, memes, and other shared posts, she wrote, often describe horrific procedures that have no basis in reality. Oh my gosh. Cite entirely made-up studies, purposefully inflate or misrepresent public health data. The goal behind these posts is clear, she says, to sow fear, confusion, and shame, and to advance an agenda to control women's bodies. What's missing in that? Think about it for a second. What's the universal thing that is missing in it all? They do it all the time. They lash out. They make these outlandish allegations and charges against people of conservative ilk. They don't give any evidence to support the allegation they made. And all those things she said that she saw in Facebook, made up studies, purposefully inflating and misrepresented public health data. And she said this, her summary of it all. It's her opinion, but she doesn't say that. The goal is to sow fear, confusion, and shame and to advance an agenda to control women's bodies. Governor, when Andrew Cuomo resigned, I had a flitting hope of a governor that would really take over in New York and be smart and be judicious and be nonpartisan. Obviously, my, uh, my fears have actualized in you with this particular statement. Basically, what it boils down to is you don't give a rip about the product of this abortion, the effects of any and every abortion. And that is not a change in a woman's body. Yes, there's a change in a woman's body when an abortion takes place, but most importantly is the body inside that woman. It's not a fetus. My wife never goes to fetus showers. She goes to baby showers all the time. Babies, by vernacular, are born individuals, living individuals, not a big clump of cells like you allege and others like you. It's atrocious, and actually, it's murder, and the worst kind. Killing those individuals, yes, they're individuals, that can't fend for themselves, and they're slaughtered before they ever get to take their first breath. Wow. What about (laughs) the pending vaccine mandates across the nation? We visited with Dr. McCullough about that a little bit, and he had some very, very charging things and and, uh, opinions to express about it. Not about the vaccines, which I thought was enlightening, but about the mandates. He said it's terrible. It opens up Pandora's box that we may never be able to close. Well, in New York State, we just brought you a little bit from the new governor. A federal judge there yesterday granted an emergency injunction blocking the state of New York from enforcing a COVID-19 virus vaccine mandate for healthcare workers. 17 medical health professionals asked the court to enjoin the enforcement of New York's mandate that then-Governor Andrew Cuomo announced back in August. 
The mandate requires staff at hospitals and long-term care facilities like nursing homes, adult care facilities, and other congregate care settings to be vaccinated for COVID to continue to be employed. The plaintiffs, including some doctors, some nurses, a medical technician, a physician's liaison, were facing termination, about to be fired because they refused to get vaccinated. Their loss of hospital admitting privileges and the destruction of their careers unless they consent to be vaccinated with vaccines in contradiction of their religious beliefs. That's in the lawsuit. Their religious beliefs compelled the plaintiffs, quote, to refuse vaccination with the available COVID-19 vaccines, all of which employ aborted fetus cell lines in their testing, development, or production. Did you know that? Every one of the three that are being used here in the United States include fetus cell, fetus cells. The healthcare employees argued the vaccine mandate would nullify protections for sincere religious beliefs under the Title VII of the Civil Rights Act of 1964, even though the prior state health order in effect just days earlier had afforded the same protections. Specifically, they argued that the mandate violated the First and the Fourteenth Amendments, the Supremacy Clause, and the Equal Protection Clause of the United States Constitution. Now, let me give you the the skinny on this entire thing. You know what that is all about, what I just gave you? Some really sharp attorneys, really smart attorneys that understand the attack that is underway by the Biden administration and the president against those who religiously believe abortion is wrong and that they should not be forced to do abortions. Specifically, in this lawsuit, they use the terminology the basis for filing. It includes an allegation that the mandate violates the First and Fourteenth Amendments, the Supremacy Clause, and the Equal Protection Clause of the U.S. Constitution. That automatically means it's going to federal court, federal court litigation. If it's justifiable and if it's uh, knocked down and it's appealed, it's eventually going to go to where? The United States Supreme Court And what might happen there? We finally may find out that Roe v. Wade, way back in 1972, that abortion advocates have pointed to and said, it's the legalization of abortions. Folks, the word abortion is not in the COVID-19 statute. The case that was delivered, the written reasons for the United States Supreme Court then to support a woman's right. It doesn't even use the word abortion. We'll keep our eyes on that and keep you posted about it. It's a very important thing that's pending, and it's coming out of New York. That's kind of unbelievable. Elsewhere, one of those other lightning rod states, Florida. Florida, along with pretty much every other Republican-led state, have voiced their opposition to the vaccine mandate. Many of them have vowed to fight the mandate in court. Several have already started, but they've held back on voicing specific legal strategies as details of the Biden administration's policy remain unknown. One guy, one legal eagle from the Obama administration actually predicted, which kind of surprised me, we're not going to see any of the effects of Biden's mandatory vaccines in our companies, in our government, 
for at least a year. Now, I hadn't even thought about this, but it made absolutely good sense when I realized and got the explanation. He said, with all the legal challenges that are a certainty, it's going to take a long time. It's going to take a long time to go through the process, and there are rules regarding the implementation of any president's executive orders. And he said, it's going to take at least a year to get all those things in line. And so even if it stands, if these court challenges don't work and each one of them is denied and this keeps going forward and forward and forward, it'll be the fall of 22 before any action is going to be taken. I thought that was interesting. I thought it was. Well, DeSantis, Governor DeSantis down in Florida, uh, and 27 other states, all Republicans, They made their comments in opposition to the mandate. Arizona Attorney General Mark Brinovich, he's already filed a lawsuit for Arizona. The Biden administration is targeting mandatory vaccination for Americans. And Brinovich says it's unconstitutional. One of the most forceful statements that has been made opposing the mandate came from South Carolina Governor Henry McMaster. He promised to fight the administration. His words to the gates of hell to protect the liberty and livelihood of every South Carolinian. I'm 100% against this vaccine mandate because I believe it should be a personal health choice. That's Nebraska Governor Pete Ricketts. He acknowledged there are other vaccines that are mandatory in various different settings, but those are much more established, he pointed out, while the COVID-19 vaccines, they've been around for less than a year. There hasn't been that much time to disseminate the information about them. And he said, people in Nebraska, in fact, healthcare authorities, many of them, they don't know who to believe. <laughs> kind of like our conversation this morning with Dr. McCullough. I told him, Americans, they don't know who the heck to believe. Governor Ricketts blamed the CDC and Dr. Anthony Fauci for their inconsistency and how they delivered their messages. The mandate also appears to overlook different realities in different states. I hadn't thought about that. Nebraska, for instance, they have one of the lowest COVID-19 death rates in the country despite fewer restrictions than most other states. We never did a statewide mask mandate, the governor said. We never did a stay-at-home order. We've tried to manage this with the lightest touch possible because I believe in personal Liberty. And then our buddy in Florida, Ron DeSantis, he said he opposes the mandate because of personal liberty to make medical decisions. But even if he did support it in principle, he would still oppose Biden's idea. He particularly took issue with the mandate, apparently including people who've already had COVID and who, according to many studies, enjoy natural immunity that's superior to that produced by the vaccines. If you're really following science, he said, you would acknowledge this natural immunity. The mandate may even exacerbate the problem it's claimed to alleviate, he suggested. One argument for the mandate is that the unvaccinated need to be forced to taking the jab so to reduce the risk that they end up occupying hospital beds and overwhelming the health care system. But that hadn't played out in reality. You heard Dr. McCullough last hour 
talk and reference Israel, the most vaccinated country on the planet. Almost 90% of Israelis have been vaccinated, either one already or both of the two-shot requirements of vaccinations. Yet right now, hospitals are being flooded with COVID serious conditioned people right now. And with some accounts being as high as 80%, low side 60% of those being hospitalized have been already vaccinated. So if the vaccines are supposed to be the life-saving thing that we've been told from even before they were created, they were going to save the world, they're not even stopping COVID-19 infections? Why? This is the question all Americans are asking, and I mean that. All Americans are asking, if that's the case, why the heck even give them in the first place? Give us an incentive as an American. Why should I go get a vaccine, which I don't have a clue what's in it. Most people mandating that we get it don't have a clue what's in it. We don't know what the results are going to be. As you heard Dr. McCullough say, 14,000 deaths way back in September from adverse reactions to the vaccinations, most of them from Pfizer and vaccination. That's deaths, hundreds of thousands of injuries, some of them debilitating and heart problems. He's a cardiovascular surgeon, considered to be by many as the number one cardiovascular doctor in the world. Why roll the dice? Why take a real shot at dying, taking a vaccine that we know now doesn't work anywhere close to the numbers that they gave us before people started getting the jab? Wow. Gosh, we've only got 15 minutes left. Final break. Back after this. Subway Restaurant Storytime Theater proudly presents Jack and the Beanstalk. Fee, fi, fo, fum. I smell the. I, I smell, uh, something delicious. Hey, little fella, what you got there? Oh, this? It's the big hot pastrami sub from Subway Restaurants. Mmm, that does look tasty. It sure is. Climbing that beanstalk out there makes you hungry. Uh, you mind if I have a bite? Sure! I'll trade you for that goose over there with the golden eggs. You got a deal! Hungry for something big? Then pick up a big hot pastrami sub from Subway Restaurants. Layer upon layer of delicious hot pastrami stacked high and toasted to flavorful perfection on freshly baked bread. Topped with pickles, mustard, and melted Swiss cheese, it's the perfect way to satisfy any giant-sized appetite. Big Hot Pastrami available at participating restaurants for a limited time only. See restaurants for details. Subway. Eat fresh. Today on Hey Culligan, softer equals better. Here's a tweet from Ed Itchy in Idaho. Hey Culligan, my laundry is so scratchy I just cut myself on a cable knit sweater. Any suggestions? Hashtag send help. Hey Ed Itchy in Idaho, yes, the Culligan High Efficiency Water Softener will make that thing so soft it'll go from cable knit to cable knot. Itchy. Hashtag soft laundry. Hashtag already on the way. Get started for as little as $10 a month for six months at participating Culligan dealers. If you think we're just four wheels and a grill, think again. The Jeep Grand Cherokee redefines freedom. But what really makes Jeep? 
It's finding the perfect balance between luxury and adventure without ever compromising. It's driving across the country to see your family, to make new memories. So, what makes Jeep? You do. Jeep. There's only one. Jeep is a registered trademark of FCA US LLC. Telling the truth, the mainstream media doesn't want you to hear. Dan Newman, TNN, The Truth News Network. Again, here's Dan. Before we go any further, let me tell you, if you want Dr. McCullough's interview almost an hour from earlier today and you missed all or part of it, three ways you can get it. Number one, five minutes after this show is over, you can get the entire podcast, the show in podcast format. Go to Apple Podcast. If you've got an iPhone or an iPad or an iMac, you've got that app, Apple Podcast. Click on it in the search bar. Just put in there, TNN Live. It will take you to the homepage of that section. And every podcast we do, every show we've done that they turn into a podcast is there for you. There's an index. You can pick it up. You can download it, listen to uh, whatever you want to, any of them, including today's, anytime you want to. Same thing available at Spotify. Spotify. Go to Spotify Podcast. Put the same thing in the search bar, TNN Live, and grab it. Well, that's two ways. The third way, uh, it may not be as simple, but it's absolutely free. At the bottom of every story for that day, whatever day show that you want to go find, they'll be in red at the bottom. It will be a link to that day show. That also goes live about five or ten minutes after each day's show is over. We want to make it as simple as possible for you. I know not everybody can sit there for two hours during a work at work day. Uh, mom's at home. You, you just don't have two hours to sit and listen to a show, but you don't want to miss anything. So go grab them there. In fact, I'll give you a little inside scoop. We're going to pull just that interview out of today's show and post it separately at Apple Podcast and Spotify Podcast. So you can just go click on that and get it for today if you don't want to listen to the whole show. So you'll have two options at Apple Podcast, also Spotify Podcast. There's a bunch of crud happening regarding Afghanistan, and we don't have much time, but there are a couple of things I want to point out to you. Senator Menendez from New Jersey, who is a very hardcore leftist, he is the chairman of the Senate Foreign Relations Committee, and he has just come out and is ready to cold cock Defense Secretary General Lloyd Austin, who did not accept the committee's invitation to come to the committee and testify at a hearing dealing with all of the crud that happened with the withdrawal from Afghanistan. In his opening remarks at the hearing at which Secretary of State Antony Blinken appeared yesterday, Menendez says Austin's testimony is necessary in order for the committee to fully examine what happened to Afghanistan. I'm very disappointed, he said, that Secretary Austin declined our request to testify. A full accounting of the U.S. response to this crisis is not complete without the Pentagon, especially when it comes to understanding the complete collapse of the U.S. trained and funded Afghan military. It's interesting that he pointed that out about the Afghan military. Nobody's talking about it. Nobody's talking about the numbers. The president said, oh, there are 300 plus thousand Afghans in this military that we funded, we armed. 
We made sure they were trained in pretty much every one of them. When the Taliban showed up, they just put down their weapons and ran away. In fact, and it's not funny, yesterday, it happened yesterday, one Afghan member of the military who happened to be a sniper that allegedly worked for the English Army, the British Army in Afghanistan, the Taliban took him out and beheaded him in front of news cameras in Afghanistan. I think that uh, any Secretary of Defense should be totally open to and probably excited to come before a Senate committee like that and give Americans the truth, don't you? Not former General Lloyd Austin. As we mentioned, Anthony Blinken, Secretary of State, was at this committee, and he testified, and he just, i got to be honest with you, I don't know of a better way to say it, but he just pee-peed down his leg. He actually said this. He does not know, the Secretary of State does not know whether a person killed in a U.S. drone strike, that one that happened in Kabul, he doesn't know if the person who died was a member of ISIS-K or was an aid worker and that the Biden administration is still, in his words, looking into the matter. Come on, folks. That's a week and a half ago. You can bet your bippy they know who that was that ended up getting killed in that U.S. drone strike. And, of course, Senator Rand Paul, he just went nuts on Blinken. He grilled him on the matter during that committee hearing yesterday on the withdrawal. The guy the Biden administration droned, was he an aid worker or an ISIS-K operative? Paul asked Blinken. The administration is, of course, reviewing that strike, and I'm sure that a full assessment will be forthcoming, Blinken said. So you don't know it was an aid worker or an ISIS-K operative, the senator asked? And when Blinken said he could not speak that in the setting they were in, Paul asked him, so you don't know or you won't tell us? I don't know because we're reviewing it, Blinken admitted. I cannot believe that a real leader, somebody that took the office at the head of the State Department, the State Department, they have total classified ability to look at and get all kinds of information, especially on something like this, with which obviously has a great deal to do with the State Department and our foreign policy matters. So what are you saying, Dan? Heck, he knew. He knows everything about that. And then there's finally this. This one just blew me away. A senior CIA official yesterday acknowledged that terrorist network Al-Qaeda, here they come. He said they are returning to Afghanistan. They've already started. We're already beginning to see some of the indications of some potential movement of Al-Qaeda to Afghanistan. But it's early days, and we will obviously keep a very close eye on that. Now, why would they put that out there for you and I to think about? Ponder on that a minute. Do we have enough time? Let me see if we have enough time. I I wanted you to hear the president. Yeah, we have enough time. Sky News last night. Our president, Joe Biden, 
listen to this short audio file. And just before we go, let's end the evening with a word from the leader of the free world. I'll personally write a check to anybody who can decipher what Joe Biden is trying to convey here. Yeah, that, you know, well, you know what do you want to do with Biden? I want to box him. I should be so lucky. You know what I mean? But it is the, the, the kinds of things or, you know, stuff that's coming out of Florida, stuff that's coming out of, you know, Robert E. Lee had been in Afghanistan. You're the one. No, anyway. Florida, uh, Robert E. Lee. Uh, How is that <laughs> man dressing himself, let alone leading the most powerful nation on earth? How did he segue to the term to even include Robert E. Lee and that insanity that, I mean, talking around, I don't know where he was, folks. I don't know who he was talking to, but he wasn't saying anything, and he's our president. Wow. Hey, guys, great show today. Dr. Dr. McCullough made it special. Thank you for being here. Don't forget, we're back tomorrow, every Monday through Friday. 9 to 11 a.m. right here. TNN Live, produced by Truth News Network, truthnewsnet.org.